I'm Jason Thomas. Welcome to the Hardway MBA, where we empower ambitious corporate professionals. That's you, right? With real-world business knowledge. We interview business leaders who are gracious enough to share their strategic insights and tactical activities to improve your business and career. If you enjoy these interviews, please spread the word because nothing says thank you as well as a referral to your friends and colleagues. Now let's dive in. Welcome, 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 Jason Thomas with the Hardway MBA. Super excited to introduce you guys to a, our, our phenomenal guest today, Steli Efti. Um, Steli is a, a founder out in Silicon Valley, uh, working on a project called Close IO. Uh, is I'm super excited to have Steli on. I've been listening to his podcast, the Startup Chat, and uh, just some of the things he's doing within sales and and the startup world. I think will translate for you guys very well. Steli, can you just take a minute and kind of introduce yourself to our to our audience here? Yeah, absolutely, Jason. Well, first, thanks for inviting me uh, to have a chat with you. Uh, second, I love the the title of the the podcast, the Hard Way MBA. It sounds like sounds like you, you know your audience might be my kind of people. Um, to give you some context on myself, so I I'm originally from Greece. I grew up in Germany. Uh, I used to say I have the best that Europe has to offer, but uh, today, today it's more trying to build bridges between two very opposite ends of the cultural spectrum of Europe. Um, so I grew up in, in Germany in factory worker family. Um, my dad died when I was fairly young. My mom raised uh, three boys on her own while working in a factory. And uh, I hated school growing up. So when I was about 17 to 18, I decided to drop out of school and become an entrepreneur. And the appealing thing about being an entrepreneur or starting a business was that um, it seemed like the only option to be very successful it, it, during those days, it meant making a lot of money to me and without needing certification or approval by anyone other than your customers. Uh, so that seemed pretty appealing to me. Um, so I started my first business. I was you know, more lucky than smart. So that first company kind of mm-hmm. turned out okay. And, uh, and I did a, a few very small businesses uh, back in Europe, all fairly successful uh, all very non-technical, nothing to do with the web or software or anything like that. And I uh, was doing pretty well. And then eight years ago, I had this big vision, big idea for a technology company and a software business. And since I had no background or clue around technology and I didn't know anyone who did, the legend of Silicon Valley was super appealing to me. And I thought, you know what? Let me sell everything I have. Let's buy a one-way ticket and let's make this adventure a good one. And I you know, bought a one-way ticket, came to San Francisco to uh, to surround myself with smarter people than I am and to to build something that would change the world. The first thing I accomplished, you know, for the fa- past eight years, I've been the stupidest person in the room consistently. <laughs> but uh, but the second goal of like changing the world, not quite as 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 much as I wanted. So the first company turned out to become a, a big soul-crushing defeat for me. I worked on that business for five years. I uh, learned a lot, lots and lots of lessons, but ultimately didn't wasn't able to manifest um, what I wanted to manifest and to to match my ambition. And then the second business that I started after that failure, um, that business took also a few left and right turns, but eventually we ended up at a at a pretty pretty good place. Uh, and today we're running this business called Close.io. Um, the context might be relevant for the audience because the company started originally as an outsourced sales services company. 
mm-hmm. specialized on working with B2B technology companies. So we work with over 200 venture-backed startups in Silicon Valley, helping them define and develop a sales model and then scale it up. We have this massive you know, sales force and sales operation that was kind of doing sales for all these different companies. And in the process, we started developing internal software to empower our salespeople to outperform others and to be happier and to be more productive. And eventually, we discovered that the software became pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. And in January 2013, we decided to release the software as a separate product and thought it would be kind of a nice little side project and would take a very long time for the software to grow. And, uh, and as I like to say, as an entrepreneur, I've been wrong my entire life, but once in a while, I'm happy that I was. <laughs> and this was one of those times where the software grew a lot faster than I thought it would. And within uh, a year, was much bigger than the services business. And today, that's all we do. Um, it's Close.io. It's a sales software that that's focused on inside sales teams and helps salespeople be a lot more productive, helps them close more deals, make more sales. And it's a highly you know, profitable multi-million dollar business. It's growing really, really fast. And we're having a ton of fun running that business. Uh, so that's kind of catching you up on my life story and uh, the way that I got, the hard way I got my MBA so far. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, as, I, as I, I've heard some of that in your, your podcast, it's, it's a bit inspirational, um, you know, and really kind of follows a similar path that I think other, other folks that listen to. One of the things that you were talking there, I want to make sure we come back to, uh, is the transition from the services business to the product business. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought about that before, but as you were talking, it just struck me that the retooling that might, might be necessary, and I, you know, I use that word for lack of another, but kind of the way you would have to reconfigure your organization um, could be really dramatic going from, you know, we are a, a scalable sales team, I think is kind of the first business, right? Yeah. To now we have a product that helps your sales team scale. Yep. Can you walk us through that? Talk us through that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, like, as as most of the time, reality is pretty messy, you know, and success is pretty messy. Um, so, in hindsight, I can give you three different versions of what happened that would sound very slick and kind of very, like, clean and thoughtful. But the, 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 the real story is always a bit more complicated. So, uh-huh. to just break it down for you, when we um, – so when we started building the software, uh, which we did from day one, by the way, we never intended to to launch a software business later on. Uh, a lot of times services business today, it's I think in fashion for people that are in services businesses to think how can we create a product because products are more scalable, right? Right. Um, but we never intended to do that. We always thought of software as a way for us to scale the services business, not necessarily as a separate product. Um, I think that and we had zero vision on like what the product would look like a year from now. Like we literally just started building the things we needed and we went very opportunistically step by step. And it took us probably a year to start thinking, to start having a point of view about the product and thinking this is the way that this should work. And we, oh, wow, we're really onto something here. It really happened very organically. Um, when we made the transition, multiple things happened at once. Um, number one, we're going through a, a hard time on the services business, although that business was a multi-million dollar business and was profitable, uh, you know, from an accounting perspective, it was a very tough business to manage from a cash flow perspective. And mm-hmm. we had no experience running a business that had these kind of cash flow challenges where you hire tons and tons of people and you put them on payroll and then you have to find work for them. And 
over like and there's times this seasonality we never had to deal with seasonality before so one of the things that we encountered in that business was that and nobody wanted to start a campaign at the end of the year right so so nobody wanted to start their scalable sales campaign with us in november or december right yeah and how do you make these these 30 people take two months of vacation yes right Uh, what do you do with that right so there were these seasonal times that we weren't aware of because it was the first year running the business right. but we had scaled it up you know significantly in terms of our cost and now we have to work with that and overall the business can be profitable over you know 12 months periods but you have to be able to finance uh, the 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 downturns of the seasonal turns where it's really slow mm-hmm. and we weren't capitalized enough for that so we really struggled uh, we made it but we struggled so it was so multiple things happened. There was some struggle going on in the services business where we really fa- felt the pain of running a services business, even if it's big and it, it makes millions, right? Even if right. it sounds good, it's kind of a hard business to run. We we decide to launch the product and the product takes off much faster than we thought and grows much quicker with very little resources. So we start thinking, huh, maybe – we should focus more and more resources on the product side. And then kind of lots of things came together for that transition. When we had to make the transition from product from services to product, we made it a pretty hard cut one. So once we decided, oh, the product is going to be what we're going to focus on, we literally within, you know, a few weeks, uh, you know, made some very, very tough choices and then had to let go of, you know, more than half of our team. Because it was clear to us that, you know, the software business didn't need that many sales resources. Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to keep running two businesses in parallel because we thought that wouldn't allow us to transition as well as we wanted. So eventually we had to make a very hard cut. And I've talked about this extensively. There's a blog post that we can um, link to in the show notes of how I had to let go of half my team in one day. and. That right. experience, you know, with me dancing bye 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 to people <laughs> and handing out cake, and there's a lot. There's a, it was a crazy, insane day. It was a very tough day, but it ended up, in hindsight, to be a really good event. All the people that we let go became uh, directors of sales, VPs of sales of really amazing companies. All of them are customers of Closeout today. Um, so we always joke that it was the the least scalable uh, growth hack of all times. But um, <laughs> but the the transition. So to, to answer your question the transition was hard and we made a very hard cut transition of basically get not like keep firing a few or letting go a few people at a time but really making a big cut and saying what's if we want to be fully product focused what's the essential team to do that and it was mainly the engineering team that we had plus a few resources on the kind of not a few resources yeah just like two resources on the sales slash marketing support side and that's it we really cut it to the Mm -hmm. bare bones um, so, and that was tough. It was a tough time to let go of all these people. It was a tough time for us to move out of like this massive office and find a much smaller one. It was kind of like going back to the roots and rebooting the entire company and resetting, uh, the way that we, that we were running things. Um, and I, w- I won't say that it wasn't hard. It was tough on the, the team that stayed uh, to kind of go through that transition what it did, though, because we paid attention to really over-communicate, to spend time with every single person on the team, making sure we're all healthy and we we all understand why we're making these decisions and what's ahead, um, it made us a much stronger team, right? It made us a much closer team. And, uh, and and so, you know, the the heart of the challenges and the tests that you go through as a, as a company or as a team, if you make it through it, it just right. – 
creates a new layer of confidence and new layer of like knowing that you the trust within the team that you know you can go through some really hard times and you can count on each other um so it makes us a much better team and it was the right decision for us but it was kind of a very hard cut transition that we made once we realized that's what we needed to do yeah so you know, I haven't listened to that, and I, there's there's a bunch of topics I want to cover with you. One is kind of around your your sales philosophy and those kind of things, with all the tons of experience you have in that that world. I want to set that aside for a minute and go a little deeper around. You know, you, you talked about how how uh, your your kind of origin story, growing up in in Greece and Germany, and uh, some of the difficulties you face building this business. It really seems to me that. Discussing the difficulties of startups and in Silicon Valley startups especially is something that we're hearing a lot of these days. I, I hear a lot of founders talk about it, and I think it's great. What do you think's causing that? I mean, what what prompts you to be so open and candid about some of these struggles? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I think a, a number of things. I think for me, I'll start with telling you personally what my why I'm doing what I'm doing and how I'm thinking about it, and then I'll and my comment on like what I see as a larger trend. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, um, I think for me, I made a transition in life, and th- this is uh, this is you know maybe four years ago or so where I I think on a person to person basis, I was always somebody that. Um, like to be pretty transparent, and um, I'm I'm a very self-reflective guy. If uh, somebody that truly believes that self-study is the way to mastery, so I've always looked in the mirror uncomfortably long, asking mm-hmm. myself what's wrong with me, asking myself what I'm afraid of, asking myself what limits me, what are my fears, what are my biases, um, how much of what I do is controlled by ego versus like different motivations. So I've always studied myself and tried to learn more about myself and be more honest about who I am and what my shortcomings are and my fears are and, and my, my the things in myself that I'm not happy with and, and the reasons and stories behind them. And I've always shared that on a personal level. I think four years ago, after the big, uh, after my big failure, the first business that I came to do in Silicon Valley that mm-hmm. I worked for five years, I made so many mistakes. I was so deeply depressed. I was so crushed after I let, to let go of that business and kill it that I kind of reemerged a lot stronger, but also reemerged with a desire to go the opposite way. And one of the things that I did wrong in those five years is that I tried to pretend a lot. You know, I try to pretend I'm doing all the right things. I try to pretend I'm I try to pretend I'm working for 17 hours a day, although seven of those 17 hours was probably just me looking stupidly at my laptop, not being really productive. Maybe even you know, 15 out of those 17 hours. So <laughs> I did a lot of stupid things because I thought they were part of being successful. And then I made a 360. It's just like after that mm-hmm. experience, I just went the exact opposite way, and I thought. Um, there was a desire in me to share the mistakes I made so other people wouldn't have to suffer as much as I did. There was a desire of me to be more transparent because I was afraid of being transparent and showing that I don't know and showing that I'm afraid and showing that I've made mistakes. And um, there's a talk I gave. And if you go on YouTube and you type in Steli FD TEDx, you'll see it. A talk I gave was right around the time we started Elastic Sales. Uh, it was also right around the time, it, it was just before I, I had my first son, 
Um, and it was very much me sharing kind of all the things I made wrong with my first startup in Silicon Valley and all the hard lessons I learned about entrepreneurship and, and happiness. And, and that talk was very cathartic. Just it, it helped a lot of people. It made a big impact, which was, you know, very rewarding for me. But it was all also just a really good feeling to just open up as much. So ever since that talk, I've tried to be more and more open also publicly, just as a way of teaching others and helping others. Um, and just because honestly, like I, t- I tend to teach and talk about things on the podcast or on our blog or anywhere else in, on interviews like this, I tend to talk about things that are on my mind. So because I do a lot of self-study and self-inquiry, if there's something I notice about myself that I'm afraid of or that is an issue with me, I'll share it openly because it's on my mind, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something I'm trying to learn from. And I, and, and my entire philosophy is to teach everything I know because that's, that's the way that I know how to create value in the world. So I think personally, it's it's a it, for me, it's a being authentic or being open or sharing some of these hard stories is a very kind of personal thing. I'm very motivated by it. And and also the more you do it, like those are the stories where we'll get like Keaton and I get lots and lots of emails uh, because of the, the Startup Chat podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but the emails that really affect me at least the most are the emails where we'll get an email at like 2 a.m. in the morning from a founder and it's like a super long email and basically somebody that just listened to the episode where we talk about the hardest stories we had to go through and he writes about like the really dark place he's right. in and like how the financing round, financing route didn't work and how he won't be able to make next payroll and how he has this huge fight with his co-founder and like this really like and his family not knowing about this and how, like in, in really sharing a really dark place that this person's in and saying – Thank you for sharing your stories and thank you for even allowing me to write about this and send you an email and feeling comfortable doing that and just sharing my vulnerability right now. I don't know what I even want out of this email. I just needed to tell somebody how I feel right now. And those are the moments that just makes me keep doing this and sharing these stories because I know how hard it is when you think you need to be strong, when you don't know who to tell this to because your family and friends don't understand it because they're not maybe not in business or entrepreneurs. Your entrepreneurial network, you might not want to share openly how afraid you are right now right, or how shitty mm-hmm. things are because you need to pretend everything is great. So who the hell do you go to? Right. right. There's really uh, – I felt – a lot of times very, very lonely. So being able to make somebody feel a bit better, it just feels good. So yeah. that was motivates me to keep going. I think on the, the larger trend, um, honestly, I think what happens is that uh, people as, – I think as people or as entrepreneurs started sharing some of these really hard stories, these stories became insanely popular because it was not commonplace. And the moment something becomes popular because it's not common, but it's something that hits a nerve, something we all can relate to, right? Right. Um, More people start coming out and feeling safe telling these stories because they're like, oh, if I tell this story, my investor will not call me and go like, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) We'll just get lots of traffic and we'll get lots of help, lots of people, and maybe it's going to benefit our business. So I think people just start feeling safer and safer being vulnerable and the more people do it in a safe way and get like good responses, the more people are inspired to do it. Right. And I think honestly, I think that we're still ways out. I think that if you ask the broader entrepreneurial community or people that are interested in business, I don't think there's an insane amount of, of, of these lessons out there, but I think it's more and more. I also think to be honest with you, Jason, that um, most people that share these really vulnerable moments are kind of at a really good place now in their life. Yep. 
So yeah, that's the, know, that's the pattern that I see is it's, yes. it's founders that have made it through those difficult yes. times. We very yes. rarely hear the uh, you know <laughs> we never hear the enterprise mid level manager who's really struggling and thinks they might oh. get fired next week. Yeah, never but I hear love that to hear story. that. Yeah, you're never gonna hear that story. But wouldn't you want to see it? Like I want to see that yes. story. If that's not my life, I'm curious to hear that because the reason why we want to hear these stories is because they are authentic human stories. They're things yep. we all can relate to, right? And it's even more more interesting when we when it's somebody who hasn't made it through yet, right? Because it's kind of more raw and and and, and so I think also par- partially. Today, I open up more and more because it's safe for me to do because I am, you know, quote unquote successful and I'm not relying – I'm not relying as much on anybody's approval. I don't need investors. I don't need press. I don't need anyone to like what I say necessarily right. um, or, or or at least not that I don't like. Of course, I need people to like what I say, but I'm not as afraid of what the responses could be. I'm not, I, I'm not relying on as many people's approval. So – so that makes me go, oh, fuck it. I can share some stories about myself. Um, but uh, and, and that's t- typically what you see, lots of really successful people sharing their dark moments, which I think is important. Um, but uh, but there are there are more and more people coming out that have made it that start sharing their stories. They, I see a lot of like kind of uh, post-mortem, I just killed my startup. We never made it. And here's what happened, right? right. Uh, these people don't know what's next and they don't know that they will make it in the future. They just know that they, they just had to shut down their business and they right. feel horrible, but they still go through the cathartic experience of sharing what happened with the right. world, uh, which right. I think so, is really cool. So you've never really been in a position where you you worked for somebody else. You had a job and, and you had a boss and kind of the classic job, quote unquote. Uh, classic so I, job, no. I, I, I hesitate mean, I to ask you this, but I, I want to ask anyway because I think you'll have some insights. The uh, How do we get that kind of openness and that kind of sharing into larger organizations, less startup-oriented organizations? Yes, that's an excellent question. So I'll give you my two cents, um, although I don't – you know, I can't speak authentically from experience, right, um, because I haven't worked in a large organization myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that the way that we'll get that is by – like any change – is by um, probably more and more. So some of the uh, some of the most whatever you want to call them, you know, early adopters, pioneers, visionaries, bold people, whatever label you want to put on them, people that are a little bit ahead of the average game. Uh, some of these people uh, that work in large organizations might be listening to you know, this podcast, might be reading some tech news, might be a bit more in tune of what, what like the newer cutting edge breed of businesses do. Mm-hmm. And then a few of them will be inspired enough to try to translate that to their job and what they're doing. Right. Um, and then there's going to be some some people that are going to take some risks within large organizations. Some of them will, you know, not be rewarded for those risks. And then hopefully some of them will. And all we need as human beings are stories we can relate to that we can follow, right? So once somebody in one bigger company makes some really risky choices and shares some really risky thoughts and that doesn't go bad and maybe it goes viral and maybe on Facebook and Twitter and everybody – people share it because it's so out of the ordinary – 
um, maybe then it stimulates the next person that's in a corporate job to, job to be more honest about their depression, their fears, their hesitations, their frustrations. And step by step, it's going to be one person that does it that doesn't work, another person that does it, it doesn't work. And then at some point, somebody's going to do it and they're going to have some success with it. And that's going to inspire somebody else to do it. And over a period of time, it's going to be a trend, right? Um, yeah. It either is or isn't, but I, I truly believe, like in general, thinking about like long term where business is going. I think that um, I think that the the time of like massive organizations with massive um, sub organizations of people that's a way that's going to die out in, in the next ten, twenty, thirty years. Even very large organizations are probably going to act more as a network of much smaller decentralized groups. Yeah, yeah, much smaller decentralized groups, just because work. Um, I think the work, the type of work, the type of industries that we have today just work better in that kind of a s- system org than in the industrial age, top yep. down, yeah. massive conglomerate world. So I think that we're going to see more of these corporate jobs will turn into and more of these corporate departments will turn less and less, quote unquote, corporate and more and more not entrepreneurial necessarily, but smaller, more nimble, acting more like a smaller business or a startup or more a where it doesn't matter that there's 100,000 people in the network of this business. You still work with just 50 or 100 right. people. Right. And then in those smaller environments, you're going to have less bureaucracy, less red tape, hopefully. And with that, more ability to be open, honest, and less uh, wasted human potential and time and energy and money on bullshit, right? On just yeah. pretend work and pretend uh, agreement and pretend meetings and pretend plans and pretend ideas and just like less of that Let's pretend to do things, but because we're not really doing anything, it's super safe, right? We're not really rattling the cage. We're not yeah, really making yeah, any exactly. mistakes. And more real work where some things are bad, some things are good, but you're really doing something. Um, yeah, so- you can't do real work and not piss people off. Yeah. You're going to piss somebody off if you're doing real work, and you're that's not always piss- safe, right? Yeah, you're going to piss some people off. You're going to make some people really happy, but you're going you're gonna- to – do you you you're gonna there's always some risk involved involved with real work right yeah. but if you just if we could have like a hundred meetings about how to have better meetings really nothing <laughs> has happened right right but but we are clocking in hours we're all working right so so it's kind of the nicest the best of both worlds we're officially working but we're really not taking any risks so we can't fuck anything up right, right? and that's kind of the optimal sweet spot that we've designed for many people in corporate jobs yeah. uh, a, a, but it's the worst place to be in as human beings so i think that yeah. we'll see less and less of that moving forward uh which is something i'm definitely excited for yeah so we've had a very broad and theoretical discussion so far i know that you are very big on action um right. based on the last few minutes if you had one tip that you could give to uh, the folks in this audience, which, you know, these are the hustlers of the world. They're they're showing up every day. They're putting in 10 hours, 12 hours, 17 hours in whatever organization they're in, and they're trying to get better. Everything they're doing is I'm going to do it better tomorrow than I did today and and continue that cycle. What piece of advice would you give to folks like that that, that are listening today that they can take and, and use tomorrow or later today? All right. If it's later today, here's my my question to you is what are you afraid of right now in your life? There's something we all are afraid of, something we all are uncomfortable with because it's outside our comfort zone. Just stop this podcast right now for a second. Just hit the pause button. If you're really about that life, if you're really about the hustle, if you're really about wanting to do more, be more, create more, accomplish more, then – 
hit the pause button and answer that question. What am I afraid of? What is something I know I might want to do? I know would be the right thing to do. I know I need to do, but I'm something in me is hesitating. Something in me is afraid to confront that, whatever that is for you. Write that down, confront yourself with that, and then go do that, whatever it is. Because I found in my life that fear is the, the road sign. Fear is is my compass. Whatever I'm afraid of doing next is most likely the thing I need to do next if I really want to take the next big step and grow and accomplish more and be more and do more. So um, the best the best thing you can do is be aware of what you're afraid of. Be aware of what is the thing you need to do but you're quite not ready to confront. Then ask yourself, how can I get to that? Like what can I do to force myself Use the, the stick and the carrot. What can I do to force function myself into taking this step now? Not in a year, not 10 years, right now. I think that we all have this. And the people that go really far in life, they typically attack their fears a lot more aggressively than others. Um, but even in those cases, a lot of times I see people, and I've, not people, myself, everything that I've done that really made me go a big step forward in my life was confronting a fear. And the only waste that I've made is sometimes it takes me a year to confront my fear. There's certain fears it took me five years to confront. And and when I'm happiest in my life is when I don't waste so much time, um, you know, looking at the fear, pushing it away, thinking about the fear, pushing it away, just constantly flirting with it, but just not quite being ready. But, just, but at the end of the day, sooner or later, I'm going to have to face it. So might as well do it right now. Perfect. Steli, thank you so much for for sharing so openly and all that you do in the the startup chat and especially joining us here today. So, folks, go look Steli up. There will be a bunch of links in the show notes. Uh, Startup chat is a great place to to hear more about this. Kira's sales philosophy, which I planned on talking about, but we kind of ran out of time. Um, So thank you so much, Steli. If if folks want to reach out to you and get a hold of you somehow, what's the best way for them to do that? Hey, yes. So I'm very easily accessible. So you guys can just send me an email if you want to. uh, Steli, S-T-E-L-I at close, C-L-O-S-E dot I-O. So like closing a deal. Steli at close is a good way if you want to interact with me on Twitter at Steli. Um, and then if you want to know more about like sales and more tactical stuff, go to blog.close.io. Uh, we publish two to three blog posts every week. There's tons of content that you can go backwards to. There's a whole sales education there, and people love the content. We have tons and tons of uh, people that are uh, every day emailing us, telling us about real-world results that we're able to drive uh, through deploying the tactics. So there's tons of tactics out there that I share openly. Uh, go and, and get that if you need that. Perfect. Thank you so much.